0: Oceanside Sanctuary, happy Easter! Welcome to our Easter service here at the Oceanside Sanctuary online, on Facebook, and on YouTube. I can hardly believe that this is our second Easter in a row that we are gathering with you exclusively online. But we are getting closer to being able to gather here again, face to face, practicing whatever precautions are needed to make sure that we are all keeping safe. This week, I sent out an email to the whole church. I hope you received that. Just updating you on what our plans are for returning to worship together sometime within the next six to eight weeks, depending on how... Public health metrics go in San Diego County. If you didn't receive that, I want to encourage you to go to our website, oceansidesanctuary.org, and go to the blog and just read the the plan that we've laid out for you. And also, I'd encourage you to sign up for our email newsletters so that you do get those updates in the future so you know what's going on. Today, I want to welcome you into our Easter celebration, and we're going to talk about the Gospel of John. We're going to read a little bit from John chapter 20. And we're going to discuss how the resurrection of Christ produces a new kind of hope for us, a kind of hope that even the disciples didn't have when they were walking with Jesus and experiencing Jesus face to face. And so I hope that you will stick with me here. But let's begin first with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for today, for this Easter service we thank you that you are keeping us safe and healthy at home and for those of us who have experienced sickness and even loss this year we pray that you would pour your mercy and grace out on us that you would meet our needs in tangible ways that we would learn to recognize how you are filling our lives with grace and goodness, and a sense of relationship with you through all of our encounters in life. Through our encounters with our friends and family, our neighbors, our co-workers, our classmates, our fellow church members, and other members of the community, we ask that you reveal to us how your resurrected presence is available to us in all of these ways each and every day, and bringing us the fruit of the Spirit, so that our lives can be filled with joy and peace. We ask, Lord, that you would make that a reality for us as we enter into what is hopefully the final stage of this pandemic lockdown. We ask that you would continue to help us to have stamina uh, to endure the final stretch of these precautions. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, uh, we sent out to you a plan this week for how we're going to be returning to in-person worship services in the coming weeks. But for many of you, I know you have already received your vaccinations. Janelle and I have had our vaccinations. Uh, Thank God we're excited to get our second shots uh, about two weeks ago. And so we are fully protected. And we had the opportunity this past week actually to have a bit of face-to-face time With a couple of other people in the church who are a part of the congregation here, and we had a chance to meet with them and talk with them and even to pray with them. And as we sat down and chatted with these folks, it occurred to us that it had been over a year since we had seen them face to face. And as we just spoke and uh, talked about their hopes and dreams for the future and kind of caught up on what the latest news was in each other's lives. We sort of settled down as we sometimes do in those kinds of face-to-face meetings, and we had a moment of prayer together. And it was just a few moments. There wasn't anything particularly spectacular about our prayer time together. Uh, And as we came out of that moment of prayer, and Janelle, who was sitting next to me, she just said to all of us, you know, I... I I couldn't help but get a little bit emotional there as we were praying. I, I feel like I sensed the Spirit of God in a way that I haven't really experienced much in this past year because we have been so disconnected from each other. And we talk a lot in our online gatherings about how we can still be connected to each other as we encourage each other online through social media and YouTube and And through email or, you know, Zoom calls or other kinds of encounters that we've had over the past year as a church face-to-face, or excuse me, that were digital but not face-to-face. But one thing that we haven't talked a lot about this year is how how difficult it has been to not have those face-to-face encounters and how very often that is exactly the way that we experience a sense of God's spirit working in us and through us and among us. I've missed that. I know you have missed that as well. And I know wherever you are watching this, that you, like me, like Janelle, that you are anxious to get back into a place where we can do that again. And that is coming soon, but it It does remind me of what we're going to be reading together today. I want to point that out to you. So if you could turn with me to John chapter 20, our reading for this week comes from John chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse one. We're going to read the story of the resurrection of Jesus together from the gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, just turn there with me. If you don't, we'll put the words on the screen as we always do. John chapter 20 verse one says this early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. And then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb, and the two were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and he bent down, to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up and placed by itself. And then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their homes. This is the beginning of John's narrative about the resurrection of Jesus. And here we see this really vivid picture of two of the disciples of Jesus. That's Peter and then the one that the the passage refers to as the disciple whom Jesus loved there in verse 2. Some of you know that that is John, the Apostle John, sort of code phrase for referring to himself, the, just the disciple whom Jesus loved. So this is John and Peter, they get wind from Mary Magdalene, what has happened, that the tomb of Jesus is empty. She, she goes and she tells John and Peter, they run to the tomb to see what's going on, to investigate. They see that the tomb is empty, and you can see that this experience of encountering the empty tomb has stirred them up. And for John, at least, it stirs up his faith. Because he didn't understand up to this point what Jesus meant when he often made these references to rising again or coming back in some way. So for John, at least, this really begins to stir up in him a sense of faith about what is possible for the future. They go away, and then I want to pick it up here in verse 11. It says that they return to their homes in verse 10. And then in verse 11, it picks up the story again with Mary and says this. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. I want to pause there just for a moment and talk about this image of Mary weeping at the tomb of Jesus. Because when I read this passage, I don't know about you, but when I read this phrase that Mary stood there at the mouth of the empty tomb that was supposed to contain the body of her teacher, her rabbi, her messiah, the person who represented all of her hopes and dreams for a better future for herself and for her people who are suffering under the oppression of a foreign nation. When I read this passage, I'm sort of tangibly in a way connected to her suffering because her weeping, I think, can't be explained by just the absence of a dead body. Instead, this is, I think, a picture of the suffering of Mary and her people and all of their broken hopes for the future. This is Mary suffering and crying because Not only did she lose the possibility of what the Messiah represented, not only were she and her family and her friends and all of her people not liberated in the way that she was hoping and expecting, but now in addition to that, in addition to her close friend and rabbi and the person who was supposed to bring about all of this good uh, future expectation that was promised by the prophets, not only did she lose all of that, but now she's lost that person's body as well. She's lost this tomb, this grave, this monument that represents the only thing that she has left to come and console herself and remember what her friend Jesus represented. Oftentimes in in systems where, where power comes along and crushes those who stand against systems of oppression and death, the tomb or the grave becomes exactly that. We've talked about this in recent weeks. I talked about this two weeks ago in my sermon, and Alex talked about this a little bit last week in his teaching. But one of the things that we see in the Gospel of John is a kind of symbolic representation of how this system of death dealing has come to bear on Jesus, the incarnation of God. How Jesus in his death on the cross represents a revealing, a kind of unveiling of the myth of redemptive power. How we as a people, that we as humans have a tendency to engage in all kinds of uh, fighting and rivalry and antagonism against each other and that builds and builds to a fever pitch until the powers and principalities on one hand, that is the powers that be, whether that's states or governments or nation states or corporations or whatever sort of power structure is in place, that that it reaches a fever pitch until those powers bring their might to bear very often on individuals who represent resistance to that power. And how on the other side, ironically, oftentimes masses of people in the form of mobs rise up either to oppose those systems of death and power or to or to uh, engage with those systems of death and power to bring about the crucifixion or the death or the lynching or the martyrdom of those who stand against the system. We've talked about this a lot in the last few weeks, that the death and, and, and the, the cross of Christ really represent an unveiling of that whole sick and destructive system that we see frankly, still perpetuated in this day. And when that happens, part of the sickness of that system, part of the sickness of that sort of power imbalance and that dysfunction plays itself out by sort of making martyrs of those victims. And then their tombs, their graves can literally become monuments to death. They become monuments to that antagonism. They become places where people can come and bring their, hope and, or their broken hopes and dreams and at least find some level of comfort in a tomb that represents someone who stood against that system. And so I think we do see that represented in Mary's weeping. Mary's weeping not just for a friend, but she's also weeping for the loss of all of her hopes and dreams and the perpetuation of that death and suffering that she knows lies ahead of her. But something really interesting happens here in the midst of that. John, although he represents those realities, those sort of transcendent realities in the symbolism of his gospel, John also simultaneously, by telling Mary's story, he brings this narrative of the resurrection down to a very personal level. Let's pick it up here again. Uh, look at verse. Uh, let's back it up to about verse thirteen. This is this is Mary seeing the angels in the tomb, and they said to her, "Woman, why are you weeping?" And she said to them, "They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him." In other words, where is the new tomb? Where is the new grave where I can go and nurture my hopes? and my dreams. Verse 14, when she said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where they have laid him, and I will take him away. Again, Mary has not only seen the empty tomb, she's not only seen these angels sitting in the empty tomb, but now she sees Jesus, but her perception is blinded by her inability to grasp the reality that stands before her. And this is, I think, entirely understandable. I don't know that if I were Mary, if I were standing there at the empty tomb of Jesus, that if I saw angels or if I saw Jesus himself standing there, that I would be able to perceive what was really going on. Because the reality is that this whole notion of Easter is entirely unreasonable. In fact, you could say this is the most unreasonable holiday that we celebrate in the Christian tradition. The idea that God came in the flesh and submitted himself to death in a humiliating form on the cross, and then three days later was resurrected, all of this completely and utterly defies reason. Why would a God act that way in the first place? Why is any of this necessary or useful? And how is it that we're supposed to believe that somebody is resurrected when we know perfectly well that that is not what happens to dead people on a regular basis. Now, I love how James Cone, the theologian, uh, expresses his answer to this question when he says this in highlighting the unreasonableness of the cross and the death of Christ. He says, the cross is the truth because God is hidden there in Jesus's sacrificial vicarious suffering. Only faith can see that which cannot be derived from the logic of history or reason, faith is able to sense and appropriate an ultimate truth too deep for human reason. Too deep for human reason. James Cone here, I think, really masterfully points out that it is exactly those features of this story which appear to be entirely unreasonable that actually point to its veracity. James Cohn points out that there is no way that an idea of the creator of the universe coming in the flesh, incarnated as a human being, would then submit themselves to the humiliating death on a cross, the kind of death that is reserved for criminals. And why? for no other reason than to identify God's self with our sufferings. For that God to say it's not enough that God be God, but that God will draw close to men and women and to their suffering. To say that here I am, with you in the midst of the suffering that you are inflicting on each other again and again, and I will suffer it with you. But then beyond that, to point to something greater in the resurrection itself. It's not enough to try to understand those ideas intellectually or reasonably. We have to have some kind of deeper engagement with those abstract concepts. And this is, I think, sometimes where we fall short as people who are trying to understand the systemic nature of the gospel, as people who are trying to understand sort of the bigger picture of what God is doing here. Sometimes we miss the deeply intimate and personal reality of the gospel that is represented in Easter. But John highlights that for us here in John chapter 20. So let's pick it up again where we left off. Here in verse 16, right before this, of course, Mary had seen Jesus standing there. She assumed he was the gardener. She didn't recognize him. And then verse 16 comes that pivotal point. Jesus says to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. This is a pivotal moment in John's story because for John, the key moment that helps Mary to pass from that place where she can't comprehend what's going on, she can't understand what's happening because this whole thing is completely unreasonable, incredible, and unbelievable. The hinge point for Mary to connect with a genuine sense of faith about what the cross and the resurrection means is when she encounters Jesus in a tangible way. This is reminiscent, I think, this whole passage here in verse 16 is reminiscent An earlier passage in John chapter 10 verse 27, when Jesus is debating with those who are arguing with him and he says to them, you don't believe because you're not part of my sheep. And then he says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And that's exactly what happens here in this passage in John chapter 20 verse 16. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus until he says, Mary, he calls to her. He uses her name in that deeply personal way that only somebody who knows her can do. And when he speaks her name, her spirit awakens and her eyes open and she recognizes Jesus because she is his follower. She belongs to him and he belongs to her. They belong together in this relationship that is forged faith. Ours is that kind of deeply relational connection to God when we are people of faith who have made ourselves into followers of Christ. And that connection, that deep sense of relationship that we have in our faith, is not just an abstract idea. It's not just a kind of belief that there is a bigger system of redemption at work. No, it's also a deeply personal connection to a God who suffers with us, who died to reveal the bankruptcy of sin, and who resurrected to offer us a new hope in an entirely new kind of life. That is the God that our faith leads us to connect to. And though we don't see Jesus with our eyes and touch Jesus with our hands and encounter Jesus around the table the way the disciples did, the truth is is that we encounter Jesus, we encounter the risen Christ, the resurrected God, in ways that the disciples never did. I love the way that Serene Jones writes about this. Serene Jones is a Disciples of Christ theologian, and the head of a Union Theological Seminary in New York, just one of my favorite theologians and writers. And I want to read to you an extended quote of something that she wrote about the resurrection that I think beautifully illustrates this idea that we are deeply personally connected to the resurrected Christ in ways that the disciples weren't. Serene Jones says this, As he did with Mary, Jesus comes to us not as a general idea or an imagined ghostly figure, but as a presence that reaches beyond our minds overt powers of knowing and touches our lives in ways we cannot see. They are felt, tasted, touched, smelled, heard, seen in image and as such, often as unconscious as they are visceral. God is known in the muscle memory of our tissue in the turn of lip in that garden smile, in the slang-tinged voice of a trusted friend, in the fall of the foot's arch on wet grass at sunrise. God's coming also unfolds in the world of our emotions and deepest dispositions, a mark of God's presence that can sense that the world suddenly shifts into place and has meaning. When we talk about encountering the resurrected Christ as followers of Jesus today, at the beginning of the 21st century, that is very often exactly what it means to encounter Christ. It means to come into contact with the Spirit of the God who has revealed God's self to us in every relationship, in every encounter, in every situation that calls for justice or relief, in every moment of prayer between loved ones and friends, in every emotional response to goodness that brings us joy and peace and grace in our lives, there is where we encounter the resurrected Christ. My question for you today that I would ask you to reflect on this week is simply this. How does the resurrected Christ make himself known to you? in what relationships, in what encounters, in what situations in your life, in what emotional responses do you find yourself walking away with an unexplainable, unreasonable, completely incredible response that tells you that you have encountered God? How does that play out in your life? What does it look like? When does it happen? Who do you share that with? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you again for this Easter Sunday. We thank you that we are able to celebrate this in a safe way, and we know that you are bringing about a time very soon when we will be able to gather again face-to-face in the flesh. Wherever we might be, whether we are here in Oceanside or elsewhere, watching from a distance, we know that you are drawing us into relationships where we can encounter you and find that grace and mercy and peace that we so desire. We pray that you would make this a reality in our lives. Be with us today and this week in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. My name's Caden. I've got a couple of announcements right here for you, Um, so let's go ahead and get started with those. Um, first off, I just wanted to say, as always, if you are new and you wanted to connect with us um, or in general, if you want to connect with us and you haven't before, um, the way that you're going to go ahead and do that is at www.oceansidesanctuary.org contact. Um, and like I said, if you want to connect with us, um, you have something to let us know, etc. Go ahead and do that. Do that through that link and we'd love to hear from you um moving on the church directory update is going on right now so we're in the process of updating our online church directory and that is so that we can open safely and serve you guys better so if you guys would mind please help us make sure everything is up to date um it's super easy and you should have already received an email if you've been in the directory in the past and if you did not receive an email um and you don't anytime soon go ahead and just go to oceansidesanctuary.org contact. um, And that's so that we can make sure you get that email and we can get you in our directory and make sure everything's up to date for everyone in the church. Um, Next up, the six week online Zoom class that we're gonna be doing is starting on April 7th. It's every Wednesday until May 12th, and that's at 6.30 p.m. And that's gonna be how not to read the Bible. Um, So if you're tired of people using the Bible to justify abuse, hate, violence, so are we, um, and that's why this class is happening. Um, so you can join us for that six-week Zoom class, like I said, and that's to learn and, le- uh, learn and read scripture, excuse me, um, from an intelligent, faithful, and radically inclusive um, viewpoint and perspective. Um, and so if you want to RSVP for that Zoom class, that's at oceansidesanctuary.org slash calendar. Um, moving on, the book club is on Thursday, April 4th at 6.30 p.m. as well, and that's going to be continuing the conversation on Walking the Bridgeless Canyon, um, which is a book about repairing the breach between the church and the LGBT community. Um, The author uncovers the historical, cultural, and medical and political filters of discrimination through which the LGBTQ community is seen. Um, With the foundational context firmly established, she explains the most controversial filter of all. Um, what the Bible says about same-sex behavior. All right, and then lastly, um, if you do want to give and you want to know how to give, uh, Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on the gifts and donations of people just like you. Um, but at the same time, if you want to consider giving us a gift today, um, we would love that and we appreciate that. Um, and that's going to be fully online. So if you want to give us a gift, that's going to be at oceansidesanctuary.org give. And we appreciate everything you guys do for the church. Um, And that's going to be everything. That's all I have for you today. Um, So I hope everyone's been doing well. And we appreciate you being here and being present. And I hope you guys have a great week.